I did not connect with people when I was growing up. I felt rudderless, even though I didn't know a name for it, which they called the genetic mirroring and seeing yourself and your parents or your parents seeing themselves in you. There just wasn't any of that growing up. And I sensed my parents' disappointment that I wasn't turning out to be the kid that they had hoped I was going to become. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to meet David, who lives in San Jose, California. When David was a kid, he knew he was talented and smart, but his gifts didn't seem to measure up to his adoptive parents' expectations. When he learned he was adopted, the news left him wanting to find his birth mother, rebelling and challenged to control his behavior. In reunion, David found his paternal family, but similar elements of dysfunction in their family and drastically differing opinions prevent him from getting any closer. This is David's journey. David was born in Norfolk, Virginia, a coastal area known for its shipbuilding facilities and the presence of the United States Navy. David's adoptive father was a Navy man. His parents had challenges with fertility, so they adopted David and two years later, his brother. Six years after adopting the two boys, their mother got pregnant naturally and gave birth to their younger sister. When their dad left the Navy, he moved the family across the country to San Diego, California. Even though I was the oldest, she was, you know, she took my place as sort of the golden child. So my sister came along. And so I was the oldest. She was the youngest. My brother was in the middle. Can you tell me about that feeling of losing your golden child status? Do you remember when you were a kid what that felt like? Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So so in school, they tested kids and I think it was around the third or fourth grade. And and that's when they would separate the, I guess, average kids from the gifted kids. And, you know, my parents were really they really wanted a gifted child, a child that was super smart. And so I did not test in that range to be considered gifted. So I kind of lost some of my status at that point. And then a few years later, when my sister was tested, she she was gifted. So there was a very, there was started this invisible demarcation between us. She was the intelligent one. She was the smart one. And, and I don't remember what they, like they, they said, you know, he's a musical one or He's the good citizen. And I felt really that my self-worth was being measured on how my perceived, you know, what my perceived intelligence was. That's fascinating. Wow. And did yeah. you, but did you feel good about yourself still? Like you may have been, I don't know, artistic or outgoing or whatever. Did you still yeah, feel good or so did you start to feel badly? I, you know... I, so I guess we'll get to this in a minute, but things changed when we had the adoption talk, which was between my seventh and eighth birthday. But as far as how did I feel about that? Well, 
I was already starting to have problems. You know, I was, I have very poor eyesight, so I had to wear glasses. You know, I was kind of a fat little kid, so I, you know, I was kind of a target for kids in school just because I was bad at sports. You know, it was everything that my parents had to hope they wouldn't get. Mm -hmm. And it got a little better, like in, say, high school, because then I joined the, like the choir, the chorus, the, the drama club. So I was able to blend in with other the other nerdy kind of misfit kids. Mm -hmm. And how about your brother? Did you and he sort of at all bond as the adoptees kind of versus the the natural born child to your parents? We didn't. Interestingly, we both bonded with my sister. She was sort of the buffer between us. Oh. We constantly fought, sometimes physically fought, oftentimes yelling at each other. And then things really started to change. You know, once my brother and I were both in our teens, you know, he had found drugs and I found, well, alcohol. You know, I would I would steal alcohol from my dad's liquor cabinet. And, and it's, it's with no small irony that my mother was also like the PTA president in charge of just saying no to drugs. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So while she was off at her PTA meetings, my brother was getting stoned at a neighbor kid's. And, oh and I was in my room, you know, basically drunk. David said he was always close with his father, but something always felt a little off with his mom. He said she was an angry woman, and David never felt safe around her. Around seven or eight years old, his parents sat him down for the adoption talk. They told David there are many ways to create a family, and they chose to adopt David. Well, I had no idea what that meant, chose, chose me, and that I had another mother, that she was morally unfit. I can't, I can't believe somebody tells a, a kid morally unfit, but anyway. Wow. She said she was morally unfit to care for me, and and my first response was, well, let's go look for my real mother. Because, I mean, it just made sense to me. I mean, well, you know, we need to go find her. And then I learned really hard and fast to never do that again. Why? What happened? Uh, my mother exploded. She felt that I was questioning her motherhood and that, I was the most selfish, self-centered little boy in the world. And what did you think? I mean, I was terrified. But you, did, I mean, did, I did was, you still want to find your biological mother, though? Well, I mean, at that point, I'm like, I mean, I was grieving. I grieved about it, but, you know, I was seven years old. I did think that, you know, that someday, you know, my mother would come find me and things would be okay but i never really i never really felt safe with my mother after that because i felt like i felt like love could be severed at any moment wow say the wrong thing and then that's it wow what about your dad you it sounded like you were alluding to a possible change in your connection with him is that true yeah no my dad so i'm so I started to have behavior problems. I would do things like I would steal food. Like, it's so weird. I would sneak into our food pantry and steal, like, chocolate morsels that my mom had for baking and then go through the whole bag. And then they'd ask me what happened. And I'd say I had no idea what happened, even though I was the only, I mean, I basically had chocolate all around my mouth. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're standing there like, what? What? Yeah, what? I mean, why are you? I'm not lying. I didn't do it. And they're like, what is all that around your mouth? That's <laughs> a hysterical image. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, they were really beside themselves. They were like, what? Mm-hmm. is wrong with you and that was the whole thing what's wrong with you mm-hmm. why are you why are you broken you're like the broken toy we we thought that we were going to get this really priceless gift david pointed out that sometimes in the adoption process there are attempts to match family types or at least so they said children of catholics or protestants for example were supposed to be adopted into that same faith Families of similar socioeconomic strata were supposed to be matched as well, and other characteristics were applied for matching. David said he felt like his parents, his mother, a registered nurse, and his father, an attorney, were expecting him to be the product of people cut from similar cloth as themselves. It wasn't that I was stupid. It was I didn't know how to process my anger. And I think that, you know, when I started, you know, taking the food and then graduating to alcohol, that was, well, it was acting out, but it was, you know, I started to look for getting negative attention. Like any attention was better than no attention. So negative attention was something that I, I don't want to say addicted to, but it's, it was like this cycle that I couldn't get out of. And my dad had a heart attack when when I was 12 and he was like 40 and my mother said that my behavior problems caused it. And if he died, that she would never forgive me. Oh my God. Wow. I was 12. Not only that, but she shook me up in the middle of the night to tell me that it was like, I don't know, probably two or three o'clock in the morning. She woke you from your sleep. Yes. To threaten you with that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. No wonder you didn't feel safe with her. Sound like she had some really yeah. erratic behavior. Wow. She really, I mean, looking back now, and I've talked to my sister about this, that, you know, she was either borderline personality or uh, bipolar or, I don't know, some, some sort of undiagnosed mental health issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, looking back now, I can see it for what it is, but at the time she was a danger to be around. And so I sort of lived in these like various trauma states, like freezing and fawning or, you know, trying to stave off her anger or, or I would fight, I would fight with her. I would say things that I knew that would deliberately provoke her. And then it it was a cycle of like hitting, slapping belting and then each time i would come back with a new zinger so i mean that was pretty much my teenage existence it was just a constant flow of physical or emotional verbal threat Mm -hmm. to your Mm -hmm. response like you can't Mm -hmm. beat me down and and rebellion it sounds like is that correct yeah yeah rebellion and and at that point they were gonna probably I was in junior high, they were going to put me, they were going to send me to a military boarding school because wow. they couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. I think I sort of had to shape up or that was going to happen because I wasn't keen on going off to boarding school either. Because at least with my parents, it was a known entity or a known quantity. You know, it may not have been 
healthy and, you know, dangerous, but at least I knew what I was getting. If I got into a new situation, it'd be a whole new set of things I had to navigate. David shared that he is part of the LGBTQ community. I admit, I have a lot to learn about the community, but what I do know is young people know early in life what their sexuality, gender identity, or what other characteristics about themselves are. I asked David if during that time of rebellion in his life, he was also contemplating his sexuality. I was, and but you have to remember this is like the 60s and the 70s. So in junior high, we had to watch a movie called Boys Beware. And it was the dangers of predatory adult homosexuals mm-hmm. who would prey on boys. And, you know, and our, and our sex education teacher would like, really drown it's like it's a dirty horrible lifestyle and you you're destined for death and i mean it scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'll tell you what i mean it was like oh damn i mean it was it's it, you know these kids today they have no idea what it was like back then there was no trans, there was no non-binary, there was no, you know, there was no choice. I mean, I didn't even know who I was as far as identity. My my whole existence was about survival, like either at home or school or my whole life was about navigating danger. And so as far as my, you know, my identity or my sexuality, well, that wasn't even, I couldn't even go down that road at the time. And in fact, I had to have girlfriends in high school because that's, that's what you do. And it takes the, you know, it takes the tension off you of not having a girlfriend. So I did that. And I mean, I, I had to do that, but I, I was accepted to school in San Francisco. And so that's when things started to change when I moved and left home. Compared to San Diego, San Francisco was a whole new universe of possibilities but David said he wasn't connected to his sexuality yet. David was excited and scared about moving, but he knew a few people from high school who had also moved to the Bay Area. He admitted that while San Francisco was full of opportunity, David's experiences up to that point in life left him with a lot of room to grow. I did not connect with people when I was growing up. I felt rudderless. Even though I didn't know a name for it, which they called the genetic mirroring and seeing yourself and your parents or your parents seeing themselves in you, there just wasn't any of that growing up. And I, and I sensed my parents' disappointment that I wasn't turning out to be the kid that they had hoped I was going to become. So I, was, I lived with a lot of shame. Did you, speaking of that mirroring, mm-hmm. what did your family look like? Are you, you know, tall and they're short? Are you blonde and your brother's oh, brunette and your sister's yeah, redhead? Like- so when, when we were young, when my brother and sister and I were young, we looked identical. And my mother, so as we got older, you know, my brother, sister and I got older and my parents aged, you know, it became apparent that we were not related, that we're just kind of thrown together. And I go back and I look at pictures of us and I just think like, we just all look like a band of misfits. <laughs> you could tell that, like, I went back and looked at all these pictures. I'm not smiling in any of these pictures. In fact, 
my brother is sort of smiling, but and my mother never smiled. So we all look like we're sort of captive, like we're just sort of this captive audience for a photographer. That's really yeah. interesting because that photo, that series of photos captures an ongoing sort of sadness almost that you probably couldn't have put your finger on, but now that you've looked back at it, you can see that it was captured in those shots, right? Right. And, and the fact that, you know, there are so many things now that I've sort of connected that I couldn't connect back then because you couldn't really even talk about adoption. You couldn't talk about your feelings around adoption. Adoption was supposed to be, you know, win, 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 you know, so it never, you know, speaking about it, I become so it becomes so hammered into me to not make that connection. Like, like I was sick all the time. I always had stomach aches, or I had headaches. I never connected that to sort of an emotional distress. My parents would say things like, "Oh, you're so melodramatic. Why are you so, you know, why do you overreact with everything? Why are you?" Because I would I would have a very low tolerance for stress. You know, I would just you know have meltdowns mm -hmm. and so did my brother oh really wow and nobody ever put it you know put it together i mean he would i remember growing up he would just throw himself down on the ground and scream and cry and do you know what his daughter and his grandson all do the same thing so recall that at seven or eight years old david was told he was adopted learning he had another mother out there he responded with we need to go find her. Which was immediately shot down with a violent outburst from his adoptive mother. David said he's dealt with low self-esteem and depression throughout his life, so he never felt emotionally ready to launch a search for his birth family. He didn't want to deal with the possibility of rejection, and he wasn't sure he would be as accomplished as his birth parents would have hoped. He didn't think he'd be enough if he found them. David had read the book Inheritance, where the author... Danny Shapiro learns she is donor conceived. For Danny to have learned something so deeply revealing about her conception made David wonder what there was to discover about himself as an adoptee. David was in his 60s at the beginning of COVID, so he assumed it was unlikely he'd find a biological parent, but he wondered if he might locate a half sibling. David was in a good place mentally, so he took a DNA test and joined DNA detectives a search angel reached out to help sort out his matches on his family tree. Oh, you know, I forgot to mention this key clue. Around 2006, my mother handed me some papers, and one of them was a court decree. And on it was my birth name. It had not been stricken. Wow. So my birth name was on this document, and I, I completely blanked this out. But I did join Alma and put my name into a registry to see if I could find my birth mother. And at this time, she was still alive. She hadn't passed away, till, passed away until 2012. And it would be a couple of years before DNA testing became available. So that, that's as far as I could take it at the time. David was 50 years old when his adoptive mother handed him that document with his birth mother's name on it. But commercially available DNA testing wasn't an option. So his search wasn't as efficient back then as it was in 2020, when the search angel helped David sort out his family tree. David's highest match was his first cousin, the child of one of his birth parents, brothers, or sisters. Here's the thing, when you're a top D and you get all these matches, it's really weird sending 
messages to people, you know, sort of out of the blue. Hi, I'm your first cousin, Mitch. And I'm not sure how I know you. Was your family from Norfolk, Virginia? And, you know, some of the people would blow me off. But anyway, as it turned out, no, but they lived in Richmond, Virginia. And they had a they had a beach house in Virginia Beach, which is next to Norfolk. Anyway, we started exchanging photos of her father and her uncles, one of whom was my father. And then we started looking at these pictures and we're going like, oh my God, we look alike. I think that that was even more impactful than, than just finding a match. To actually see the physical evidence, which was the core of what I wanted. I wanted to see, I wanted to hold something in my hands and look at the physical picture of somebody that I came from or somebody that I was connected to genetically. And so anyway, finally, we narrowed it down to her father was deceased and the other uncle was deceased. And the last one that could possibly have been my father and she sent me pictures of him and it was just like it it took my breath away i mean i wanted to cry but i couldn't i i was like paralyzed at seeing this person because we looked so much alike when we were when he was younger when we were both the same age it, his face was the same face i mean the same same sort of expression the same hair he had almond-shaped eyes like I did. The chin was the same. I mean, I never imagined that I would find my my birth father. Right. I mean, it, it never really occurred to me. I mean, it's interesting because my mother's making this moral pronouncement against my birth mother, but then she really didn't say anything about my birth father. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it was weird. It was like, she said, well, you know, he's a lawyer, so you're going to, he's going to cover up his tracks. Oh so you gosh. won't find him. But I mean, she re it wasn't even like, well, what was his part in all this? Right. When the questions come up, like, how did I get to be an adoption? It's almost immediately. Here's what your birth mother chose with little to no consideration for whether a birth father even was part of the equation, let alone whether he was part of the decision. It just, <laughs> just, it's almost like we're immaculately it was like they were just sort of incidental. David had seen photos of his birth father and immediately seen how much they look alike. Unfortunately, when he met his birth father's family, the dysfunction he grew up with in adoption was equally present on his paternal side. David called his birth father a rageaholic, similar to his adoptive father. And the man was an alcoholic. David learned he has three half-sisters, two of whom are twins. Apparently, the girls have never gotten along. So when David came around, he ended up in the middle of their mess. One sister is like somebody who's been chronically ill all of her life. Like she's always got something wrong with her. Anyway, she, about the time that I found them, this sister had to go into the hospital and she was really sick. And so these sisters would call me up every day and give me progress reports on this sister. Now, you have to understand, I've never met these people. Oh, wow. I don't even know them. I mean, really, I mean, we're gen I mean, we're genetically related, but we're strangers. Right, right. Like they're dragging me into the middle of their dysfunction and they're 
animosity towards each other and then using me as well he said this and she said that and i did not want to meet these people but i did have one aunt left and she was my you know my father's sister and i struck up a relationship over the phone with her and became quite close to her and it had it not been for her i never would have you know met these people in a sort of quasi reunion but i wanted to meet her because she was the closest thing i mean besides my sisters but she was the closest full-blooded you know you know relationship to my father so there was some spiritual significance in that for me i see I see. This was a, a means by which to be in proximity to your father if you couldn't actually meet him. Right. Correct. Wow. Fascinating. What was she like? I cannot tell you what a priceless gift she was. We spent two months, once a week, she would go over family history with me. Wow. Yeah. And she would go over all of my Irish cousins, all my German cousins about where they lived. And this was all sort of backed up on ancestry. In addition to speaking with her, she would speak to me about my great grandparents, what they were like, you know, what my, you know, great aunts and uncles were like. I mean, it was like I couldn't meet these people, but I felt like she was giving me this connection. Like these ancestors are yours. Wow. You know, they're your ancestors. And so I, for the first time in my life, I felt anchored to something greater than me. I mean, another person like I, that there's this history, you know, of people coming to this country and, you know, the hardships that they faced and, and where they ended up in this country and where they migrated. It's not just finding your birth parents. Sadly, David's wonderful aunt has passed away. He has two cousins on his paternal side that he stays in touch with, but otherwise, David is not interested in getting to know the people he's met anymore. During the racial strife this country endured after the deaths of George Floyd and many other black people, parts of his paternal family showed their true colors, and they're not people David wants to know. Given their ideological division, David doesn't see how they could have anything in common. Unfortunately, there's nothing in those relationships for him. So there wasn't that sort of common thing that bound us together. I didn't have offspring. I didn't have a, you know, wife. I didn't have like the things that are considered normal. And I mean, they don't, I guess, per se, have anything against gays, but they just feel like, you know, ultimately you're not really normal. So they're not going to tell you to your face, but I mean, I got it. I mean, I went to this reunion and only two people asked me anything about my life. Really? Yeah. Like nobody was was interested. And I kind of know what that was all about. I mean, I have I have a very comfortable life. I have a great support network. I don't, you know, need to, you know, I'm not looking for acceptance from these people. But I did, you know, I have to say, I really did. I really wanted to be accepted by these people. And I really tried. And it was really when the George Floyd murder happened, that's when all the cards came onto the table. Yeah. And that's when I could see who they really were. And it was just like, there's nothing. And this, but fortunately, this was after the reunion. So I was still able to, you know, meet my, meet my aunt. But, you know, I really don't, I don't have anything to do with them now. David's parents are deceased. After his brother's untimely death from a heart attack a decade ago, 
His sister is the only one left in his adopted family. David said his sister is really happy for him to have at least found his birth family. She actually had a pseudo-reunion in her own life when two half-cousins appeared unexpectedly and identified themselves to her. She really didn't want to have anything to do with them. And I see that a lot with these lost kids find their, you know, missing relatives. You know, I really thought that all these people would be thrilled to hear from me. Like, oh, a new cousin, that's so exciting. Well, I was a stranger to them. I mean, I was lucky. I'm blessed, you know, that I had that time with my aunt and really got to know the family histories. But the fact is, you know, like most of the people I messaged on Ancestry didn't even respond. I mean, it's like not everyone's into genealogy. and, And I think that people who weren't adopted may take that stuff for granted. How are you doing now? (laughs) Having been through this adventure of reunion Um, and, you know, meeting people that you hope to be accepted by that you ultimately are not, how are you doing? Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. I also, you know, some days I I wake up and go like, did that really happen? (laughs) (laughs) Hold on a minute. Did that really happen? I mean, because I'll tell you, for the first two years, I was like up and down and all around and emotionally not doing very well. And I don't know whether I should mention this or not, but I did decide to try medication last fall, which made a huge difference. I mean, I started to see a therapist and a psychiatrist and and what, you know, what I'm on is really working. That's Um, great. Yeah. In conjunction with seeing a therapist and, and really... I don't live in this constant state of defensiveness or worry or worried about what people think about me or I try and limit my time on social media. In fact, I've closed one of my Instagram accounts because I just felt like it was getting to be, I was starting to head off into a place I really didn't want to be. And I think that sometimes, you know, you can pick up a lot of fractured energy online and there are a lot of you know adoptees that are still hurting and you can really absorb other people's stuff and then you know i realized that i just needed to you know pare that down so that i could keep my balance yeah i agree with you it can be really tough and and i'm always sort of impressed by the people who are able to stay in Facebook groups and constantly be responding to other folks because it's really tough. Like the adoption issues that we face are challenging and people are expressing some deeply seated emotional issues, some, you know, challenges of family, life, love, relationships, politics, whatever the thing is, like there's all these issues. It's holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day. The, you know, the religious holidays that are all triggering for folks and to be engaged at, in it at a high level all the time is it's challenging. And, you know, this is part of the reason that I started to break the Who Am I Really podcast up into seasons is because mm-hmm. I needed to be able to step away for a while. As you've yeah. said, there's the triggers yeah. that you get from hearing an adopted person speak about the issues they faced. And I'm I try to be really empathetic with folks, but you also then get very emotional with them. Even though you didn't live it, you you can empathize and you can feel it. And and I need to take a break and refresh myself too so that I can be a stronger host going forward. So I'm with yeah, you Yeah, absolutely. Breaks. And I think it's really 
important not to for me anyway because i was getting totally consumed about this mm. it's destructive yep. i'm too healthy for that yeah <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're in a good place. You know, there's a lot of folks, you know, you sort of hesitated to mention taking medication, but I think we're in a space of accepting that mental health has a lot of different elements to it. It's accepting that perhaps your brain needs a little balance with a medication. It may be that you need exercise to increase some of your other hormones. Oh. It's food. It's you know, detox from online media, it's being outside and being in nature. Oh, you know, there's all spot these on. It's like all these different things. Mm. You know, when, I don't know if we talked about medical information or lack of medical information, but something that somebody all we don't talk about is lack of, you know, mental health information about our ancestors. Like, for instance, my one of my grandfathers died in an institution because he was alcoholic. And mm. another one committed suicide. I mean, those things make their way down. But if if I don't know that and I'm sort of living without, you know, all the information I need to make, you know, rational decisions, then I might have might have taken better care or been more cautious earlier in life. But, you know, a lot of it's that genetic comp component that we just just don't have but yeah i exercise every day i eat really well i eat you know my vegetables get get outside yeah on the medication but it's not just like throwing somebody down medication okay that's it yeah you know you've got your pills you can go on your way no it's like you have to do all these other things too that's right it's a whole continuum of care for yourself and you have to acknowledge mm -hmm. both sort of the physical component of your mental health the dietary, the chemical part of your mental health. And sometimes we need help with that stuff. So I'm glad you're getting that. And that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here with me today, David. I appreciate it. I know you're mad busy. So thanks for taking time. <laughs> it was really good to hear from you and good. We could finally get a, get scheduled. To make. Yeah. Same here. Thank you for the opportunity yeah. to speak with you. My pleasure. All the best to you. Okay. Take care, David. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, it's me. David grew up under paternal pressure to be something he wasn't with his feelings of self-worth and love attached to how intelligent he tested to be. His adoptive mother seemed to suffer from an undiagnosed mental illness, which added to the rebellious teenage years David had at home. When his mom handed him the adoption documents with identifying information about his birth parents, he wasn't able to do much with the information in that era before DNA testing and all of the online resources at our fingertips today. Locating his paternal family, David sought acceptance, but quickly realized that the dysfunction in their family is too similar to what he grew up with, and their ideological differences prevent him from investing in getting to know them more. Unfortunately, sometimes that happens in reunion. We find our biological families and realize our differences will keep us apart. I am Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in David's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I really? <laughs>